Well, greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullet. Uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube. Just subscribe to the channel there. You can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Logical Belief and subscribe to our feed there. Uh, you can find both the audio and the video from the previous podcasts on the website. If you just look at the top menu bar there, just click on podcast. You can see both the video and the audio there. If uh, you have a word of encouragement or a question um, or just a comment that you want to send to me, you can send those to jason at logicalbelief.org. Mark your calendar. Jersey Fire is July 8th and 9th in Toms River, New Jersey. The topic, the Word of God. The speakers, Matt Slick from Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, Justin Peters from Justin Peters Ministry, and Andrew Rappaport from Striving for Eternity. Jersey Fire will equip you to talk to the lost and then put what you learn into practice with guidance and support from seasoned evangelists. Jersey Fire, July 8th and 9th in Toms River, New Jersey. For details, go to jerseyfire.org. Alrighty, just a reminder before we jump into today's episode is uh, for um, those of you that uh, saw last week's episode, I made an announcement for a uh, drawing that we will do uh, for winning Jason Lyell's book, The Ultimate Proof of Creation. Hold this up to the camera here. So you can be eligible to win a copy of The Ultimate Proof of Creation. I think one of the, the best primers... Um, out there to presuppositional apologetics. Uh, it's a good, um, it's it's really one of the best books out there uh, to date for uh, for jumping in and and uh, beginning to understand presuppositional apologetics. After that, I would recommend you graduate to some other works, uh, some of Bonson's works and Van Til's works. But this is a great work to start off with, uh, and will help you. Begin to uh, engage with uh, people and uh, from unbelievers uh, from uh, a presuppositional uh, position. So, uh, if you want to be eligible to win this book, uh, just go out onto the iTunes feed and post a comment, uh, uh, feedback on the podcast from iTunes. And I will put everybody that posts feedback into a drawing. We'll do another about another week. Um, so far, I think I've only seen one. I haven't checked in a few days, but last time I saw only one person so far had uh, um, posted uh, feedback. So uh, only one of you out there currently is eligible to win the book. So uh, your probability of winning it is fairly high at this point. So... <laughs> Uh, if you want that, uh, go ahead and sign up there. As I said before, we'll do the drawing, uh, probably not next week, but the following week. And uh, whoever wins, uh, you'll just send me your address uh, uh, via email, and I will have it shipped to you. Um, I will even uh, try shipping to um, Australia and Great Britain, if because uh, I know I have some listeners there also. So, to, so wherever you're at, I'm going to try to get the book to you. So. Uh, if you're the one who wins it. So uh, just be aware of that. So uh, if you're interested. So uh, today I'm going to finish up and wrap up a series. I've got like all these different series going and I don't seem to really end any of them. And we finally did get the Anabaptist one done. But uh, today I wanted to uh, finish the one that I had started 
on uh, Trinitarian and Christological heresies. And uh, so we had done an episode uh, several weeks ago, oh man, it's, it's probably over a month ago now, um, on Trinitarian heresies. So if you're interested in that, uh, go back and check that out. Some of those things uh, that uh, we talked about there uh, will provide a little bit of a foundation uh, to today's episode. And that's because these things are, are so uh, interlinked um, and meshed in with one another. So if you're a modalist or a, a monarchist, um, that's going to affect your view of the incarnation. And so therefore, you'll probably have an aberrant Christology. So <clears throat> that's why I started off with Trinitarian heresies. And so today we're going to go into the muddled field of Christological heresies. There is so many different aberrant views out there. Now you may ask, why is this important? Why do we as Christians uh, take such a strong stance on the orthodox views of the Trinity and the incarnation of Jesus Christ? And that is because these things fundamentally strike at the gospel itself. If Jesus is not divine, then he is not our righteousness. He is not the righteousness of God. As Luther, as he was reading through Romans chapter 1, and he got to, I believe it was verse 17, and he read about the righteousness of God. If Jesus is not divine, then we do not have the righteousness of God. If Jesus is not man, then he is not our substitute. He is not our kinsman redeemer. And so, these are very important. The divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ is extremely important to our salvation, which is why we hold on to this so strongly and affirm that these are essentials of the Christian faith. If Jesus is not divine, we have no righteousness. If Jesus is not man, if he is not human, we have no substitute. If uh, Jesus would have just been a creature, his own righteousness would have been sufficient only for his own salvation and not for the salvation of anyone else. If uh, Jesus was not human, then he could have not died in our place. He could not have been the substitute for us. In the same way in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system under the Mosaic law, the blood of goats and sheep were never sufficient uh, for purging the sins of any particular person. <coughs> and that is because they are not a substitute for us and they do not contain, they do not have the righteousness of God. So, Excuse me here, uh, getting, trying to get rid of a cough here. <clears throat> so this is very, very important for us as believers. One thing that you will also notice, um, every group out there, cult, that has an aberrant view of the Trinity will also nevertheless then have an aberrant view of the Incarnation. But you will notice that they also never have a true monergistic gospel of grace. They will always have a gospel that involves synergistic actions required from man in order 
for salvation to be accomplished. Only true biblical Christianity, which has a proper view of the Godhead, the Trinity, and has a proper view of the Incarnation, uh, will have a true gospel of grace where God saves. It is God alone who saves. And so, <clears throat> well, we we notice that as we look at cults and people that have aberrant views. And this is why, for example, uh, those of you that listen to the Anabaptist series, this is why Kevin and I were so strong on the false teaching of the early Anabaptists called celestial flesh. And that is because if Jesus is not of the same flesh that we are, then he is not human. And if he is not human, we have no substitute. And so, therefore, um, that doctrine strikes at the core of the gospel itself. And so, that is why <clears throat> why we hold those things to be so important. So, I'm going to transition here. I put together a presentation, as I normally do uh, when I uh, do these things. Uh, I put together a presentation here entitled Christology. So... I'm going to go ahead and transition here, the screen. So those of you guys uh, listening only, um, if you want to, I will provide, as always, in the show notes uh, on the website, a PDF copy of this presentation so that you can look at it and you can download it if you want to. <clears throat> uh, and uh, I will do my best to uh, translate the information here for audio only, make sure I uh, talk about everything. But... Um, for those of you obviously watching, uh, this will be a little easier so that uh, because you are watching the presentation. So I'm going to go ahead and transition here to the full screen. And you can see it there. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it. So <clears throat> the first thing that we want to look at is the what we Orthodox Christianity, what we hold to is what's called the hypostatic union. And this comes from the Greek word uh, hypostasis, and uh, the hypostatic union is the Orthodox Christian position that the divine and human natures of Christ are united in one hypostasis, or individual existence or person. The Greek word hypostasis. Uh, means uh, sediment, foundation, substance, subsistence. Uh, in English, it would, it would be the word person. Uh, so uh, Jesus Christ is one subsistence with two natures, a divine and a human nature. <clears throat> and <coughs> the hypostatic union became defined in the 4th century in a dispute uh, that arose between Cyril of Alexandria and Nestorius, which we will look at uh, later. Uh, Nestorius, so we will look at him. But Nestorius um, had an issue with the term Theotokos, which was um, what the early church used uh, to refer to as Mary. They referred to as the mother of God. Now, the, the early church's affirmation of Mary as Theotokos is different than the modern Roman Catholic Church's uh, view of Mary as Theotokos. They view Mary as almost divine and um, something or a person to be worshipped because of her title as Theotokos. The early church did not look at her as that. Their, um, their, 
their view of Mary as Theotokos or mother of God, bearer of God, was because Jesus was God. They did not, um, they, they recognized that uh, Jesus was one person with a divine nature. And so Mary uh, gave birth to that person, so therefore they were simply affirming the deity of Christ with the term Theotokos. The, the title was more about Christ than it was about Mary. However, Nestorius um, argued <coughs> about this, and he, he, he said that Mary, he argued that they could not use this title for Mary because she only... Um, was mother to the human nature of Christ and not uh, the divine nature. And he would be correct on that, that Mary did not provide the divine nature. Uh, that's obvious. The divine nature has eternally existed as God. Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, has always existed. He has been omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, um, omnosapient, just as his Father. He is co-eternal and has eternally existed as the Father and the Spirit has. <clears throat> so Mary was not the source of the substance of the divine nature, or the essence of the divine nature. But Nestorius took it too far, and he actually affirmed that Jesus was two persons, and so, or two subsistences. And so we'll, we'll look at Nestorianism a little while later, but uh, in the Council of Ephesus in 431, the hypostatic union was established as an orthodox doctrine that Jesus um, had both a divine and human nature united in the one hypostasis, or individual essence, uh, or individual existence or person. And so this was confirmed in Ephesus in uh, 431 A.D., and it was a response to Nestorianism, the hypostatic union. So <clears throat> I put together a little graphic here to kind of try to illustrate the, the different views out there of Jesus Christ in the Incarnation. Uh, some views tend to go to the left, where they only affirm his being the creator or God. And uh, different heresies there are like monophysitism. We'll look at monophysitism. Uh, docetism and Eutychianism. <clears throat> There's another one that we're going to talk about, which I did not put on here, is like monoenergism or monothelitism. Um, but those would exist here closer to <clears throat> the middle here, uh, closer to the hypostatic union, but would, would still lean towards the divinity of Christ. There's confusion there. And then we have to the far right, we have the creaturely, the created being aspect of Jesus. And those views, like Arianism or modern Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and adoptionism, would affirm the creaturely, the only the human nature of our adoptionism would adoptionism would would affirm only the human nature of Jesus Christ and would deny his divinity <clears throat> Arianism on the other hand um, acknowledges that Jesus is a created being in his uh, divine nature as they would say it but that nature was not did not eternally exist as God 
uh, and we'll talk about a word called heterousius um, when we talk about Arianism in a little bit. Uh, so that's that's a term that will be coming up. So adoptionism and Arianism uh, focus on the creaturely nature of Jesus, whereas monophysitism, docetism, and Eutychianism focus on the creator aspect of it. In the middle there, we have two views, and the Orthodox Christian view, which is the hypostatic union, that there is both a divine and human nature. He was fully God and fully man, not half God and half man, but that he was fully God and fully man, united in one um, hypostasis, or one person, one subsistence. Two natures in one subsistence, or one person. Nestorianism took the hypostatic union even further. Uh, Nestorian acknowledged, Nestorius acknowledged both the divine and human natures of Jesus, but he said that that resulted in two subsistences, which is why he was so opposed to the term Theotokos for Mary. And so he said that Jesus was two persons. So that is the extreme view of the orthodox view, is Nestorianism. Whereas the other views are aberrations going the other direction. Other directions, either left or right. So there's a little graphic to kind of maybe help you understand that. So in the confusion of all the different Christological heresies that have existed throughout time, and they're always just regurgitated, there's nothing ever new under the sun. Uh, one is Pentecostalism, modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses, um, or even some Anabaptists that I have met um, that have denied... Um, the humanity of Christ. Uh, and, and I don't understand that. That's something that uh, maybe if some of you guys have some insight into that, uh, there's a friend of mine that I've been talking to, and we've been like, why is it that uh, very synergistic <clears throat> uh, Christian um, groups will tend to often deny the humanity of Christ? There is a tendency there, and I'm not sure what that comes from yet, but there is a tendency that they do that. And... I have encountered Anabaptists that have uh, denied the humanity of Christ, uh, which would go back to even the early Anabaptists uh, and their celestial flesh doctrine. So <clears throat> the uh, the modern Anabaptists I've, I've heard actually um, that hold to that position, even, even somebody that was a friend of mine um, that I used to sing on a, uh, I used to actually sing on a uh, gospel quartet, uh, with uh, several other Mennonite guys back before I was actually a Christian. But uh, uh, one of the members of that group uh, did not uh, actually had a form of, I would say, Eutychianism um, in his Christological view. And I don't think he was even aware of the celestial flesh doctrine, but uh, that was kind of the view that he held. And so that is... Uh, a common thing that seems to happen among synergistic groups, and I'm not exactly sure what the reason is for that, but uh, I have to put more thought into that. But so um, <clears throat> one of the uh, the things that you're going to encounter when you're studying early church history and the the time of the Council of Nicaea, uh, especially is you're going to encounter three different terms, but uh, two primarily, and this is the term homoousius and homoousius. And uh, 
well, well I'll, I'll dig into it here in a little bit uh, what what these different terms mean but both all of these have as their their stem or their root is the term um, usia which means being substance or essence so the ontos the ontology of of uh, of a person or being is uh, uh, we refer to this as nature or ontos today or being is the term usia and so we have then homo homo usius which is same substance or essence or being um, which is the orthodox christian view and then we have homoi the only difference between here's the interesting thing the only difference between homoi usius homo usius and homoi usius is the greek letter uh yota right here the yota um, so which this means a similar substance or essence and this is the view of the uh, semi Aryans or even the originists it was a a cause of uh, big controversy if you read any church history about uh, post-Nicene era, uh, era uh, that Athanasius was a part of uh, this was a big argument was between this little Yota <laughs> In the Nicene Creed, uh, the semi-Aryans and originists could change, uh, and, and uh, many of them in the Eastern Church could change the Nicene Creed just by one letter, just insert the um, Yoda, and uh, they could uh, affirm the Nicene Creed because it would change it to uh, Jesus was of a similar substance to the Father and not the same substance as the father and this is opposed to the Arian uh, doctrine of heterousius and here we have heterousius uh, on the screen here so we have homoousius the same or homo sorry homoousius which is the same substance Jesus is the same substance and essence of the father and then we have homoousius which Jesus is the Son of God is a similar substance to the Father. And then we have heterousius, which he is a completely different substance from the Father. And so um, homoousius is what we as Orthodox Trinitarians uh, would hold to. Um, and th many of the, like I said, the originists and... Uh, and semi-Aryans like Eusebius of um, uh, Caesarea, also known as the father of church history, and I have actually a book by Eusebius, and uh, he affirmed homoousius, that he, Jesus was of a similar substance of the father, uh, a subordinate substance to the father. Now this brings into question then the doctrine of monotheism. So if Jesus is a only a similar substance to the Father, you know, very close to the same but yet different, then this brings into question, is there only one God or is there two gods or three gods? Because if, uh, if Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, is of a hoi moi, uh, usius, then the Spirit would also be homoousius, and so then we end up with tritheism. 
So this was the issue that the early church had to battle with. And so then uh, the Arians took on that Jesus was heterousius. He was a created being of a completely different substance and essence of the Father. And that is the Arian position, which was condemned at the Council of Nicaea. So you can see that, the, as we talked about before, as the view of the Trinity uh, is very uh, crucial in the discussion of Christological errors. So the, Christolo the uh, Christological heresies that we're going to talk about today are going to... Oh, it looks like I moved forward a slide too far. Uh, move back. We're going to look at docetism. We're going to look at mono, monophysitism, Eutychianism, Nestorianism, Adoptionism, Arianism, and Monothelitism. Uh, these are the seven Christological heresies that we're going to look at and the ones that you should be familiar with. And the reason you should be familiar with these is um, as you are out there witnessing, sharing the gospel with people, um, living within the church body, um, you're going to, from time to time, encounter people that uh, have maybe some a little bit aberrant views of the incarnation of Christ. And by being aware of some of these heresies, it can help guard yourself and also warn those that are leaning towards some of these heretical views, um, that you can warn them that these are not um, orthodox Christian, Christian views. <clears throat> And my goal is not today to get into, um, to dig in depth into the biblical foundation for the Orthodox Christian positions, but uh, I'll briefly mention them um, as we go along. <coughs> so, the first one we're going to look at is docetism. Now, this is really one of the oldest heresies, and we see this already addressed by um, even the New Testament writers. And uh, docetism comes from two Greek words. Yeah, it's dokane and dokesis. Dokane means to seem, and dokesis means like an apparition or a phantom. And this is the belief that Jesus only appeared to be human, and that his human form was an illusion. Uh, this was a belief held by many of the early Gnostics and comes from a Gnostic worldview. And this comes back to, to Platonism and things like that where you have um, the eternal Logos, the essence, uh, the source of all, all goodness, uh, and then you have these aeons that emanated out from this that got less um, good, <laughs> And until you come down to the point where you have a demigod or, or a demiurge, sorry, not a demigod, but a demiurge that actually created the universe because all matter is evil, which is a Gnostic view. And the uh, source of all things, the eternal Logos, is the only thing that is good. And so therefore he is so good that he could not have actually created. So some lower demiurge, a l much lower aeon from this pure source of goodness is what had to create the world and it created it evil so therefore matter is evil so therefore if Jesus is an aeon close to <clears throat> um, or if he is the eternal logos himself uh, he could not have actually taken on flesh because that would be evil 
And so that is the, the view of the Gnostics. So they, they often would claim that, uh, for example, some of the Gnostic writings have like Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee and he didn't leave any footprints. The, the disciples would look back and see that he didn't leave any footprints, and that's because he was not really matter. He was just a phantom. He was just an illusion in his flesh. And as I said, this was an early heresy that we already see uh, condemned <coughs> at the First Council of Nicaea in 325 uh, by the Nicene Creed itself, uh, just by its affirmation of the humanity of Christ. It uh, condemns uh, Gnosticism and uh, this docetic view. And we also see even John in uh, in Second John, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver and an antichrist. And so notice here how John himself, how he holds this error as being so egregious that those that hold to it are antichrists. And so now you can understand why we as Christians that hold to Orthodox Christian views of um, of Christ, our, uh, in our Christology is why we hold these things to be so important. Because the early Christian writers, when it came to docetism, um, uh, said that those who held to it were antichrists. We see also John address it in his first letter. In First uh, John 4, 2, it says, By this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so <clears throat> the the way that uh, the early Christians could know that somebody was deceiving them and was not from God was if they taught this docetic view. So that's one to be aware of. Um, the next one we're going to look at is mono. Physitism. This comes from the Greek word monophusitismos. Monophusitimos. <laughs> if I can say it right. It's kind of long there. Monophusitismos. There we go. Monophusitismos. One single nature or physis is uh, where we get the English word monophysitism. <coughs> And uh, this is the belief that Jesus was only one nature that was divine. So he was only one nature. He did not have a human nature. Um, and he was all divine. And uh, this is uh, to be contrasted with the Orthodox Christian view, which is diophysitism, which means that Jesus has two natures. Um, <clears throat> uh, those who opposed... Uh, the Council of Chalcedon were called Monophysites. The Council of Chalcedon um, uh, affirmed Diophysitism. And so those who opposed it were often labeled as Monophysites. Um, this is to be slightly contrasted <coughs> with, another group, uh, with another view, which is very similar to Eutychianism. Um, and actually, Eutychius would have held to this, but uh, so they contrasted with the Myophysitism, which is said that the humanity and divinity of Christ were united in a in a separate, new, uh, single nature. So they would, uh, unlike Monophysitism, uh, the Myophysitism would actually say that there was two natures of which Christ came from, 
but he is now he was now united those were united in one nature which is really the eutychian view uh, diophysitism as i said before was the position of the council of chalcedon in 451 a.d <clears throat> so then we have eutychianism uh, eutychianism holds uh, or was uh, uh, comes from uh, a man by the name of eutychius of Constant Constantinople, he lived from 380 to 446 AD, and um, he held that Jesus had a human nature and a divine nature, but they were united in a new uh, nature. the The human nature was basically lost <coughs> in the essence of the divine nature, <coughs> and he would describe it as like a drop of vinegar in an ocean, <coughs> which was dispersed. So that was Eutychius's view. And so the human nature was overcome by the divine nature and created this new nature. Christ had a human nature, but it was unlike the rest of humanity. And so Eutychianism is a very egregious error because if Jesus was not like the rest of humanity, he is not our substitute, as we talked about earlier. <coughs> and um, <coughs> Christ was of two natures. Uh, what, what they would say, uh, Eutychians would often say that Christ was of two natures, but was not in two natures. So he did not exist in two natures, but he came from two natures. <coughs> um, they would say that Jesus was homoousian. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Back to our words that we learned earlier on. Um, Jesus was homoousian with the father of the same essence of the father but he was not homoousian with man was the eutychian view which is like i said a problem because now he is not our substitute <coughs> is uh similar to monophysitism but i would say closer to miaphysitism a lot of times eutychians were accused of being monophysites <coughs> but i would say that there would be closer to miaphysitism uh this was also condemned at the council of chalcedon in 451 AD <coughs> so another view that um, uh, was promoted by Nestorius which was the patriarch of Constantinople and he lived from 386 to 450 AD was he emphasized the disunion between the human and divine nature so he affirmed diophysitism however he said that Jesus um, existed into uh, subsistences so he had two different natures but also he was two different subsistences or two different persons so Jesus was actually two persons um, and a lot of Nestorians would would sometimes you know in going through the Gospels they would say well this here is the divine person speaking and, and over here is the human person speaking and they would separate Jesus into two persons so Jesus had a multiple personality disorder <coughs> uh, they would hold that um, that Christ had two loosely united natures divine and human not united in one person as the hypostatic union the orthodox Christian view is um, <coughs> they separate the natures to the point that Jesus was two persons uh, Nestorianism is a non-orthodox form of diophysitism. Remember, I said they are—they uh, did affirm diophysitism, 
<coughs> however they did not uh, <coughs> affirm they would be uh, instead of uh, hypostatic uh, or hypostasis they would they would affirm diostasis or a two subsistences or two existences two persons so it was a non-orthodox form um, it's the opposite of monophysitism so monophysitism Remember, as Jesus was only one nature, uh, Nestorian uh, absolutely affirmed that Jesus was absolutely two different natures, and they were, um, there was not much of a union between them because it resulted in two different persons. It was condemned at the Council of Ephesus in 431 A.D. and the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. <clears throat> now, we swing all the way over to the right of our original chart. And now we're going to look at adoptionism. <clears throat> so this was the view that Jesus was not divine. He was not of the same substance as the Father. Um, this would be a heterousius view, um, kind of like the Arians, uh, except this is a little different than the Arian view. Um, adoptionism <coughs> actually said that Jesus was a man adopted by God at his baptism. He was not divine at all. So if this is true, then we do not have the righteousness of God. We have our substitute now, but we don't have the righteousness of God. He was a man adopted by God at his baptism. That's typically when they say he was adopted by God. And that's because, you know, God spoke from a cloud and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so they, they would say that that's when he was adopted. <clears throat> they said that Jesus was chosen by God for adoption because of his sinless devotion to God. So, uh... Often, um, those that would hold to this would also hold to a pretty strong Pelagian view that man is capable in and of himself to to be pleasing to God um, outside of um, even divine grace. And so, <clears throat> that is the adoptionism view. Um, also, uh, sometimes called dynamic monarchianism, uh, which is uh, a form of modalism, since they would deny the triune nature of God uh, then, then what was Jesus? So they adoptionists would say that he was simply just a man, and he was adopted by God, the the one being and person of God. They're Unitarians, and so <clears throat> if you want to get a more in depth uh, view of what dynamic monarchianism is, you'll have to go back to the episode on the Trinity, on that. But uh, so adopted by groups that deny the doctrine of the Trinity typically and it was condemned at the First Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. We also have <coughs> a very uh, well-known heresy, which uh, I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with. And uh, this is the uh, heresy of Arianism. And we have modern Arians today. We have the Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, this was uh, named after Arius of Alexander. And he lived from 250 to 336 A.D. <clears throat> but uh, during the same time, this, uh, uh, we have Athanasius and uh, uh, Augustine a little bit later. But uh, So Arius um, said that uh, Jesus, the Son of God, did not always exist, but was created by God the Father as the Son of God. So the Son of God was the first created being of God. And through this created being, he created the rest of creation. But 
Jesus was not eternally. He was heterousios. He's of a different substance. He's, he's a creature. Once again, if this is true, then we do not have the righteousness of God. <clears throat> and in fact, we don't have a substitute either. Um, because he was not... Um, uh, there's different views. Uh, he, he may not have been totally human either. So uh, we have multiple issues here, but he definitely was not eternally God, so therefore we do not have the righteousness of God. They would say that he was ont ontologically subordinate to the Father <clears throat> because he's a different being. He's a created being. Um, adopted by groups that deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Unitarians or uh, will adopt um, um, this particular doctrine. <coughs> Not usually modal monarchians. Modal monarchians would say that God exists um, in different modes. Uh, Unitarians would say that there is only one person in being of God and he never operates in different modes and that Jesus was simply a different created being. Um, also, it was what's called a form of dynamic monarchianism. I was condemned at the First Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., Arianism was. So now we're going to look at monothelitism. Um, so this comes from the Greek word monothelitismos, monothelitismos, one single will in Christ. And uh, it was uh, its precursor was called monoenergism. <clears throat> and it says that uh, while it would say that there was two natures in Christ, Christ only exercised his divine will. He never exercised his human will. Well, this is a problem because we can see in Scripture that Jesus did exercise his human will. And if he didn't exercise his human will, he wasn't really human either. We see that he cried, he hungered, he uh, thirsted, he was tempted. It tells us in James that God cannot be tempted, right? So how was Jesus tempted? Well, that's because he had a human will. <coughs> and he exercised that human will. And uh, and uh, Jesus had two wills. The diothelitism is the orthodox view. It was uh, preceded by the teaching of monoenergism, one act of energy, which would say that Jesus only exercised his divine nature. He didn't exercise his human nature. So it was basically just dead flesh going along with Jesus, his human nature, which is kind of the heresy of monoenergism. <clears throat> which would mean that he wasn't necessarily, I mean, while he contained a human nature, he didn't exercise it. So that doesn't really provide him as a substitute either. It attacks the substitution of Christ as our substitute. It's the opposite of diothelitism, the view that Christ had two wills, <coughs> human and divine, corresponding with his natures. That's the diothelitism view. That's the orthodox Christian view. And um, the interesting thing is, if you have Catholic friends, is Pope Honorius I taught both mono monoenergism and monothelitism. And uh, <coughs> this is really a, a difficulty for them when it comes to their doctrine of papal infallibility. Um which was affirmed, I think, by the First Vatican Council in uh, the late 19th century. And uh, <coughs> this becomes a, a big problem because Honorius obviously taught monoenergism and monothelitism. And he taught that as from his office as Pope, and uh, which he was condemned, and both monoenergism and monothelitism were condemned 
at the Third Council of Constantinople in 681 AD, along with they condemned Pope Honorius I as a heretic because of this teaching. And so uh, this really disrupts papal infallibility, which is a, a hilarious doctrine in and of itself. <coughs> but uh, that was a big problem for him because a later pope condemned Honorius as a heretic. So which one's infallible here? The one who condemned him or the one who taught the heresy? And uh, and uh, this it just it may, it really renders papal infallibility just a useless doctrine because or a useless view because if the pope you know they'll say well he wasn't speaking ex cathedra okay well if if a pope can teach monoenergism and monothelitism to the point that honorius did and he wasn't speaking ex cathedra then you have no way of even knowing when a pope is speaking ex cathedra you don't know so the doctrine is completely useless because you never know whether a pope is teaching you anything infallibly because he may be condemned later by a council or a later pope. So the doctrine just or the the view just becomes absolutely uh, uh, ridiculous, which it it really is anyway. But uh, <coughs> so that is monothelitism. Uh, the the Orthodox Christian view is diothelitism, and so that is um, that is the end of. Uh, that presentation. So, uh, sorry for I have a major cough going on today. So hopefully that was uh, useful to you. Hopefully it wasn't too uh, disjointed. But uh, I will go ahead and publish the uh, the PDF on that, and um, you guys can grab that if you if you want to grab a copy of that. Hopefully that helps uh, clear up if you ever hear those terms used and. Uh, helps you understand them a little better and uh, helps you know how to defend uh, the Christian view of 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 Christ and who he was and what he accomplished and uh, um, uh, a clear biblical view of the uh, the Christian the biblical Christian view of Christ and what he accomplished so um, thank you for uh, joining us and uh, just a reminder, go ahead and sign up uh, for the drawing uh, by posting your comments on iTunes, and you'll be eligible for the book drawing. So thank you. We'll see you guys next week, Lord willing. God bless. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom.